Hello, everyone. Welcome to the As of Yet Unnamed podcast. I am Connor, joined as always by Parth. And welcome to our second episode. Um, in this episode, it's going to be a continuation of our uh, the last episode where we're going to continue talking about some of our older, unreleased material. Uh, there's um, four releases worth that we're going to try to fit in here and do a track-by-track breakdown, uh, kind of like we had same format as the last episode. Um, we like to consider this kind of the, the middle era of Acid. Um, this was where we were kind of starting to figure ourselves out as a band. Uh, it's definitely nowhere near as bad as the stuff on the last episode. It's listenable at least, but it's still not as refined or uh, just as well written as any of our newer stuff. All these songs are going to feature guitar and drums, although some of them will feature bass as well. Most of them are just going to be me and Parth, but Parth's cousin Unmill will make an appearance as well. So uh, we're going to start off with our fourth album, which was self-titled. It was called Acid. And this was recorded between winter 2011 and summer 2012. And this was a massive step above our last album, Game Over. I mean, pretty much on all fronts, the songwriting is a lot better. The production is much better and won't make your ears bleed. And on this album, we actually got access to a drum pad. We made an investment there. So the drums sound a lot better. Not Still not great, but definitely better than what we were doing previously. The production on these albums is uh, a, little, a little dry, very uh, flat. We weren't really experienced with uh, mixing or mastering or anything like that. Well, we were still trying to figure out how to record with a computer. Um, and it improves over each album, but uh, there's still nothing crazy going on with any of the production on here. It's just very cut and dry. As of this first album here, our self-titled, uh, there are still some timing issues on the songs that are some songs that are pretty noticeable in places. Not nearly as bad as some of our old stuff where we where we weren't on beat for a single part of the song, but there'll be there'll be a couple parts where where we get noticeably off time from each other. So kicking off the first song here on the album, uh, we have a re-recording of our first song, The Room. Uh, this is pretty much just a flat step up in every regard. Uh, <laughs> it has the drum pad drums, it has uh, guitar and bass, and it's just a 37 second punk song, basically. Yeah, this is just like a much more just improved version of the original Room. The production is miles better. It's basically the same thing we didn't change anything but it's just way more listenable so our second song on this album is called descent into the abyss and this was actually the first song where we used our drum pad so that was kind of a big thing for us back then and it's pretty solid the songwriting is there it's definitely got a lot more of that metal influence that starts coming in around this time and it has some pretty decent riffs, pretty solid, uh, you know, start to the album. Nothing offensively bad here. There's definitely a few timing issues in uh, the bridge part, but overall, I think it's a good song.
it's a pretty good showcase of kind of what our sound would be like around this time. Kind of a straightforward heavy metal-ish. Kind of slower sometimes, maybe sludgy in points, but nothing too heavy. Just heavy metal, basically. And we were still trying to figure the production out here a little bit. I think there's some clipping issues towards the end, uh, and maybe towards the beginning with the drums. But other than that, the production is like miles above anything else we'd had up to this point. Right. I remember the bass kick in particular sounding just kind of wonky on this song. I think maybe it was too loud and it was causing some clipping or something. But uh, yeah, overall, it's a big improvement again from Game Over. All right, so the third song on the album uh, is called Shattered Frost. Um, this is another song. Uh, it's kind of on the slower side. It's got some sludgier aspects to it. It's got some of those timing issues that are a little more noticeable I was talking about in points. Um, and it's kind of just a collection of riffs we put back to back to back. There's no real cohesion between a lot of them. But it's still a solid listen. Some of the riffs are fun. And it's just kind of, it's got like a bouncier part towards the end that's kind of fun. But I don't think it's one of the stronger songs on the album, really. Yeah, I pretty much agree with Connor. Those timing issues we mentioned are a lot more noticeable on this song. And it doesn't really feel like it flows that well. It just sounds like a collection of riffs. But again, there's nothing that just makes you want to turn off the song. It's, it's fine for what it is. song on this album is called Melodies Out of Thin Air Part 1 and this was actually a song me and my cousin Unmil did on our own. Uh, Connor wasn't involved in this one and honestly I still think to this day that this one holds up pretty well. I think there are a lot of pretty well written riffs in this one and it feels like everything's pretty much actually on time and uh, there's this actually kind of good solo at the end that I do. And also there's a drum solo in the middle of the song, which Unmil did, which uh, sounds pretty cool. But the thing is, he overdubbed like three separate drum tracks to get this drum solo. I mean, you can't physically play this. You would need like <laughs> like seven hands. Yeah, you, you would need quite the setup. And maybe an assistant to be able to play this live. <laughs> right. You can hear like the toms and the cymbal and the snare being hit at the same time. Like it's not possible. It sounds cool though. It does sound cool. It sounds pretty cool. And I, I remember he actually made me leave the room while he recorded this drum solo to like surprise me or something, I guess. Uh, I think it's uh, a bit overkill uh, these days, but... I mean, it does sound cool, I, I can't lie.
yeah, this is definitely one of the stronger songs on the album, I feel like. Um, like you said, there's no real timing issues on this one. There's a lot of like catchy riffs. It's kind of it's more memorable than a lot of the other stuff on the album. It kind of sticks out in people in, in your mind with some of the riffs and stuff. And like you said, this is a, the album where our solos started improving a little bit more. You kind of figured out what you were doing a little bit more, even though I don't think you had really looked into anything like theory-wise at this point. No. But you were, you were getting a much better feel for it, so the solos aren't nearly as um, ear-rattling <laughs> as they could have been before this. Yeah, I definitely still think it's one of the highlights of the album. Um, Songwriting-wise, it's actually pretty good, I think. All right, so the fifth song on the album is called Downturn. Uh, this was a Mine and Parth original. Um, this one's pretty heavy, actually, by this album's standards. Uh, there's a lot of really slow, kind of sludgy riffing, and uh, some of the timing issues are, a little, are there at the beginning a little bit, but um, not nearly as bad as something like Shattered Frost was. And um, towards the end of the song, there is a very heavy breakdown. It kind of surprises me that we were able to record something as heavy as it at this time but it's it's a fun listen i wouldn't say it's one of the better songs on the album but i have a lot of nostalgia for it i like it myself The sludgiest song on this album, I would say. You can definitely hear that sludge influence here. And the riffs really aren't that great for most of the song, but the heaviness is there. And like Connor said, I love that breakdown at the end. It just kind of comes out of nowhere, and just hits you in the face. <laughs> it's it's kind of amazing, actually. Yeah, it's it's a great way to end an otherwise not very noteworthy song. Right. And fun fact, the title of the song, Downturn, is the name of a Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 map. So I don't know if that's where we got the name from, but... Uh, that might have been it, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I think this probably would have been out around that time. Yeah. So. so the next song we have is Melodies Out of Thin Air Part 2. And again, this is another one which me and my cousin Unmil did on our own. And really, it to me, feels like... A, a worse version of Melodies Out of Thin Air Part 1. The riffs are still there. There's some fun, catchy riffs, but I don't. I just don't think it's as well written as Part 1. Um, it's still a good song. I would say it's probably about mid-tier in, for this album. And I think the ending is kind of cool where we kind of speed up this one riff a lot. But overall, I just... I would just rather listen to part one over this. I wouldn't really come back to this. Yeah. 
yeah, like you said, it's 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 still a good song. Um, it it has a, some catchy riffing and stuff, but I feel like you you used all your catchy riffs in the first song, and then in in part one, and then part two, it's still good, but it just doesn't have quite the same impact. I don't remember as many of the riffs out of it as I do as in part one when I think back on the album, but I do think it ends pretty well with the speed up and everything. That that was it was all on time, and it it sounds pretty cool. So the next song we have is called Time Machine. And once again, this is one that Unmila and I recorded at his house in Florida. So I actually still think that this song holds up pretty well. This has a lot of very catchy riffs, in my opinion. Um, it definitely has a few production issues where the guitar tone just sounds a little uh, flat in places. But it's just got so many kind of memorable riffs. I think it it, it is a good song. And uh, the drumming is pretty decent too. Yeah, this one's probably one of the heaviest songs that you and Unmil did when y'all were working together. Uh, it's got a lot of heavy riffing. It's good riffing. It's catchy. Um, and it's just a fun song to listen to. It's got a lot of energy. And like you said, the drums are pretty good. <laughs> There's no... Uh, unbelievable drum solos in this one but it, I mean, it's no. it's still good to listen to i believe this one is also one where we uh made the artistic decision to cut part of it that y'all did originally is it not yeah it is uh we added this little like 20 second interlude i guess <laughs> i don't even really want to go into what it was <laughs> it was really stupid but <laughs> it didn't fit with the rest of the song at all no so uh but, we decided to chop it yeah connor made the executive decision <laughs> to just take that part out and that was a good choice <laughs> it makes the song much better i think yeah although that original version's still out there and it's still just as funny <laughs> yeah yep <laughs> I, we just kind of went back to that like game over mindset for like a little bit i think <laughs> so <laughs> So the next song we have is called The Legend Born. And once again, this is one that Unmil and I did on our own. And this one is pretty solid. Uh, again, it's got some pretty solid songwriting on the guitar. And the drumming is there too. We've got some solid drum beats. There's nothing about it that really stands out. There's not like one riff or one drum part that really makes you go, wow. But... You know, it is what it needs to be. It doesn't really have the catchiness of the last song, you know, Time Machine, or the riffs of Melodies Out of Thin Air Part 1. But I would say it's about mid-tier for this album. Yeah, it's a solid listen, but like you said, nothing really sticks out about it. Um, the, the, the riff that you use in the beginning comes back later, just sped up a little bit. So you're getting a lot of kind of the same riffs in there, just <laughs> the tempo changes. But 
it's still a fun listen. Yeah, there's nothing bad about it. at number nine on our first self-titled album uh, is Rise of the Legend, which is the second song in the Legend trilogy here on the the end of this album. Um, this was a mine and Parth original. I like this one. It's got this really catchy kind of southern swingy-esque riff at the end that I uh, really like. We were experimenting since we had the drum pad with some double bass parts, even though we couldn't actually play it. <laughs> we were using that we were programming it with the drum pad and i think that sounds pretty good towards the end there's a double bass part with a with a, some nice riffs on top of it but it's um it's another kind of middle tier i guess and overall It's definitely got some I feel like it kind of gets better as it goes on there's some pretty strong riffs in the second half like the ones Connor mentioned uh, the bass solo in the first half probably goes on for a little bit too long overall though I think I'd probably put it in the top half of the album probably not like you know top three or anything but it's a solid song I think it's probably the best out of the legend trilogy it's kind of a spiritual successor to E-I-D-E from our first album. It starts out the same way with the long bass solo that goes on for too long, like you said. But unlike E-I-D-E, well, like, well, in the second half of this song, we, we knew what we were doing a bit better. Like you said, it picks up a lot more. The, the mm -hmm. second half alone, I think, is probably in the top half of the album. I just wish the bass solo might be, was a little shorter so yeah. you could get to that quicker. Right. All right, and the 10th song on the album is The Legend Resurrected, the final song in the Legend trilogy. Uh, this song's noteworthy in that um, I was on guitar and Parth was on drums for this one. It was just the two of us, but we switched instruments. And you can tell I have a much different guitar style than Parth. Uh, it has kind of like very jam session-esque energy, especially towards the end. But um, it's got some fun parts. Nothing super memorable, but I mean... It, it's fun for what it is, which is showing off the difference in how we play the opposite instruments.
Yeah, Connor definitely has a much looser playing style on guitar than I do, and you can tell in this song. And like he said, it definitely has a very jam session-y vibe. Like, there's no riffs that just jump out at you and you uh, remember after listening to the song, but while, while you're listening to it, it, it's solid, good songwriting. Uh, I have this one drum solo also uh, in the second half, which isn't bad, but maybe a little too flashy. I guess I took some influence from Unmil's drumming there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, overall, not a bad song, but uh, pretty mid-tier for this album. And finishing out the album is the longest song on here, Armageddon. This is unique in that it features vocals from me. Um, and they aren't quite as bad as anything on Game Over was, but I was still definitely working on it. Lyrics were written by Parth. And instrumentally, it starts off pretty strong. I really like the intro where we layered the guitars over top of each other. And it kind of builds to this big metalcore-y fast riff that it breaks into. And that's that's really fun. And then it gets to a breakdown, which starts off fun, but goes on for way too long. And it builds up to this long extended solo that, again, goes on a little too long. But the first part of the song is still really fun, even to this day, I think. Yeah, I agree. It starts off very strong, actually, I would say. Uh, there's some pretty good riffing there. Uh, the tempo we're playing at is kind of impressive. I would say everything through about the breakdown is really solid stuff, but then the breakdown keeps going for too long, and that extended solo at the end just wasn't necessary in my opinion. The song should have ended like two minutes earlier than it did, but uh, I mean, stylistically, you can hear where we would go uh, with our sound on our next album for sure, with that kind of metalcore influence at the beginning, and Overall, I, I also appreciate the vocals here, which you don't hear vocals on any of the other songs on this album. And I don't think the lyrics I wrote were that bad. Uh, you know, I did an okay job. So overall, I, I would still probably put this in the top half of the album, but it would be stronger if it was this shorter. well as a closer it just needs to be trimmed up a little bit yeah yeah so next up in this four album set is skyline this was recorded between spring of 2013 and summer of 2013 um this is definitely the metalcore album uh through and through there's lots of breakdowns and lots of metalcore riffing um there's some thrash influence in there uh but overall it's a very breakdown heavy album <laughs> there are some pretty solid songs throughout uh it's still fun to listen to today i think um, but the songwriting is not as good as it could be, and it does get kind of repetitive again with the breakdowns and some of the riffs, but it's still a fun listen. 
And uh, Parth, I know he considered this to be our best album for a long time. Oh, yeah. For years, I thought this was like the peak of Acid, like the best thing we had recorded. Um, it was my favorite album of ours for a while. Definitely not anymore. Uh, like Connor said, I think some of these songs could have been written better. It's, it's a little too breakdown heavy. I'm not really into that metalcore sound anymore, but it still has a lot of nostalgia, I would say. Yeah, we had a lot of fun recording it and writing it. And even if I don't really want to listen to it anymore, I still have a lot of nostalgia for it. So the first song we have on Skyline is called A Song. And this is actually a re-recording of one of our earlier songs from our second album, As Of Yet Unknown. We decided to just re-record one of our old songs because we wanted to. And we actually used a lower tuning. We used drop C on this one instead of drop D in the original. And it's okay. I mean, it has better production, but it's literally the same song. We didn't change anything about it, you know, the compositionally. So I don't know. I still prefer the original because it just has that nostalgia there. And this just, I never really think about this song when I think of this album. You know, it's a re-recording. So it's like we're just, we've already done this. We just played it again. I think at this point we felt like our production was so much better and we liked a song and another song we did later on this album, Heatwave, that we re-recorded. We just liked those two so much at the time that we wanted to make them sound better. I think, yeah. that, I think that was our general thought process. And I don't think the heavier tuning or the lower tuning really helps the song. I don't think so either. I think it hurts it more than anything. But it's still, it's the same song. So it's it's... It's the same listen, essentially, as the original. It just doesn't have as much nostalgia, like you said. I don't think of this version. I always think of the original version. the original version had worse production but somehow i think that adds to its charm yeah and part this, of the personality of it yeah and this doesn't have that personality all right the second song on skyline is ascension and uh this is noteworthy in that it's the only song on this album to feature unmil he did the drum part i did the bass part and parth did the guitar part uh we were all together here in parth's basement studios for a single recording session. And I like this one. It's probably one of the strongest ones on the album. We're really on time and really together. There's a couple production issues. Like at one point the bass gets noticeably lower in the mix. Um, and it kind of throws the feeling of the song off a little bit. But the songwriting is really strong. I think there's some fun riffs on there. And some back and forth between the bass and the guitar and stuff. And the drum part's really nice. Emil did a good job on the drum part. It's got a lot of energy and stuff.
Yeah, this is a pretty good one. The songwriting is definitely there. And we're playing pretty tightly. You know, there's not really any timing issues. And I also have a solo in this song where I use the wah pedal. And it actually sounds pretty good. You know, I use the wah pedal, you know, uh, efficiently. I don't <laughs> overuse it. So it's a solid solo. And I really like how it ends too. It has this really kind of punchy riff and it, it really ends on a, on a strong note. So yeah, overall, I don't really have any complaints with this song. It probably would have been the best song to start the album with instead yeah. of a song. Yeah, this would definitely have been a better uh, first song than a song. So track number three on Skyline is called Unstoppable Force. And this is where you really can hear the metalcore influence on this album. I remember the intro riff on this song was inspired by Between the Buried and Me. While we were recording, Connor played some Between the Buried and Me song from his laptop and said something like, here's some inspiration. And after hearing that, I wrote that intro riff. So that's a little fun fact. And I remember when we record this, recorded this, I was super proud of it. I just thought like it had a lot of good riffs. And we have two breakdowns in this song, which I was proud, really proud of both of them. <laughs> And I just thought it had a ton of energy. We were on our A game. Yeah. Uh, but these days, it's it's not one of the highlights of the album, in my opinion. It It's okay, but I don't know. I just don't really like this style of music that much anymore. <laughs> This isn't really the kind of music I listen to anymore. And um, like you said, we, at the end of it, we have a breakdown into a breakdown, which is a bit overkill in my opinion nowadays. The first riff, the first breakdown riff is really bouncy. I still enjoy that one just because of how <laughs> bouncy it is. But none of the other riffs in here really stick out all that much. And um, it's just, it's not particularly memorable, even if it's a pretty good representation of like what we were into at the time. Right. It's pretty like standard metalcore, you know, it's, it probably sounds a lot like any other metalcore song from like the 2000s. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The fourth track on Skyline is the second re-recording. Uh, this is Heatwave, another song off of our second album, As of Yet Unknown. And much like the A Song re-recording, this one doesn't really do anything to improve on the original outside of the production. And it it helps give some clarity to the, the distorted riffs at the beginning of the song. It's a little easier to tell what's happening on this version versus the original version. But my favorite thing about the original version is this uh, long break that starts with a clean guitar with a lot of echo and reverb for the time that we put on it. And that's my favorite part of the original version. And this version really doesn't do it any justice. 
It's it's not nearly as good. And that's the highlight of the song. So this is just not that great a version of that song, even though the production's been improved so much. echo everything connor said i feel very similarly about this as the re-recording of a song i mean the production is better and like connor said there's a bit more clarity in some of the faster riffs but that break at the end which was by far the highlight of the original version just is not as good in this song in this re-recording I I don't really know why. It's just it's like the the worst recording uh, suited that break more. So the lo-fi production enhanced that part, and when we cleaned it up, it just sounds kind of flat. It yeah, does, it doesn't have the same impact as the original version. Right. I don't feel the the soul. You know. Yeah. Just re-recording. Yeah. Super soul, <laughs> bluesy rock. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> So, like, I would never go back to this version. I'm going to go back to the original. Yeah, same for me. There's nothing to come back to for this one. We we didn't fix any of the problems with the song that were originally with it, like the repetitive songwriting or anything. Yeah, it's literally the same thing over again. I I don't think we should have had these re-recordings on this album. We should have just written two more original songs, in yeah. my opinion. They would have fit the sound a lot better. <laughs> Right, because they, these don't really stylistically sound much like the other songs on the album. Yeah. So track number five on Skyline is called Ruina Magna. And <laughs> this is, again, where that metalcore influence comes back pretty strong. I mean, literally like half of this song is a breakdown. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. And... It's not one of the highlights of the album because it's so breakdown heavy and there are a couple kind of cool riffs in the middle, but overall there's just not much that's memorable about this song or super well written. I mean, you can clearly tell what kind of music we were listening to at this time. I that The influence is there. essentially a worse version of unstoppable force and that it's just a very generic metal chorus song (laughs) and it's a three minute and 52 second song where at least two minutes of it's just chugging like breakdown chugging 
just nonstop. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, at the end, we put a solo over top of it, but the solo is it's nothing stand out either. Nope. <laughs> not, not one of my better solos. No, this is in the bottom half, I think, of the album overall. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. So number six on Skyline uh, is Relentless. And uh, this is noteworthy in that it was written almost entirely by me before coming over for a recording session. I tabbed the whole song out, except for a couple riffs at the end that Parth came up with. I tabbed the whole thing out in Guitar Pro so that Parth would be able to read it along and learn how to play it, because on the recording, Parth plays the guitar and I do the drum part, even though I wrote the guitar parts. And I don't mean to sound too self-indulgent, but this is probably my favorite song on the album, just because we lose a lot of that metalcore influence and it gets a lot thrashier. I like a lot of the riffs. I don't really know how I came up with them, but they're really thrashy and I, they're just catchy. And the breakdown on this song actually works really well and sounds really good. And it's not just a generic metalcore breakdown. It's it, it fits the song really well. And it's just strong songwriting. Probably <laughs> the strongest top two songs on the album. Right. Yeah, actually, I would... I think I would call this the so strongest song on the album uh these days uh like connor said he wrote pretty much all of the riffs and i can't lie they're really strong riffs uh this is a lot less metalcore influence than the other songs much thrashier and it's just a good song i would probably listen to this today honestly and that breakdown is amazing <laughs> honestly it just it, hits you it smacks it, you over the head it really does <laughs> i mean man there's even this like harmonic note right before the breakdown yeah. which was unintentional but it yeah. fits so well it just sounds so perfect and i have no idea how we did it but right it's a, it's probably the strongest part of the whole album <laughs> yeah it really is <laughs> Coming in at the seventh spot, um, we have the filler track, Jam Medley, uh, named such because it is a medley of jam sessions that me and Parth did. Um, it's 18 minutes and 51 seconds long, which is about 18 minutes too long. Um, and the only real noteworthy thing is that it's three back-to-back -back jam sessions that we faded into each other. And the first and the third one is me on guitar and Parth on drums. And the middle one is Parth on guitar and me on drums. So you can kind of, if you really wanted to sit down and listen to this monstrosity, you could kind of see the difference between our playing styles and everything. But there is nothing memorable. There's no, like, good riffs. Like, it gets kind of fun at some parts in a way that a jam session's fun. But it's nothing that anybody would want to listen to.
think this is a big waste of time. <laughs> like, no one wanted a 19-minute song on this metalcore album. <laughs> we were super self-indulgent here, I think. We were just trying to make the runtime longer. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like Connor said, I think there was a few kind of fun parts, kind of fun riffs, but nothing that memorable. I mean, you're not going to remember 90% of this. <laughs> this is honestly one of the low points of the album. Yeah. Definitely one of like, I don't know, bottom three. I'll put this in the bottom three. Yeah, it's definitely in the low point, I think, of the runtime. Just because it's so long and such a waste of time. I mean, like, Ruina Magna is not great, but it's only less than four minutes. You don't yeah. have to sit for it, through it for too long. Right. I mean, man, this, is, uh, this isn't that great. No, it's just bad. <laughs> and the final song on our album skyline is the title track called skyline and this was this is one that i pretty much wrote by myself uh i remember coming up with these riffs and being super proud of them and this is probably the fastest song on the album and you can really hear that metalcore influence come back uh you know that was a lot of what i was listening to at the time so it definitely showed up here I still think this is one of the highlights of the album. Probably top two. It's like um, in contention with Relentless for the top spot. And yeah, honestly, I think there's a lot of fun, energetic riffs here. The intro riff is pretty cool and kind of unique, I think. The drumming is on point. You know, there's uh, a lot of energy in the drumming. And towards the end, it kind of slows down. And I like that kind of change in tempo. And it just feels like a really good closer for the album. I think it's a strong note to go out on. It's definitely the best example of that metalcore style that we were into at the time. Um, the songwriting is good. It's not like, you know, Unstoppable Force or Arena Magna where the songwriting is just kind of bleh. You know, this, the riffs here are good. There's a lot of energy uh, it's longer, it's four and a half minutes long, and not a lot of that time feels wasted. It's all fun. The breakdown towards the end, uh, before it slows down is really fun. I like that part. Oh, yeah. That's a really cool breakdown. And even though this isn't a style of music I'm super into anymore, I can still appreciate this song. I would definitely agree with it being second place, in my opinion, on the album. It's just a really, it's a really good example of that style that we kind of associate this album with. consider this song to be like the peak of what we've done just the best thing we've ever recorded yeah but, I, 
Yeah, Parth had a lot of love for Skyline for a long time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so our sixth album we created was Inside the Chasm. And this was recorded throughout 2014. And really, out of all of the older Acid albums, I think both me and Connor consider this to be the best. Yes, definitely. <laughs> this is where we got access to a seven-string guitar. So we started using much lower tunings. And even to this day, I think because of that, this is probably our heaviest album. And really, it's very consistent. The songwriting is very good throughout. There isn't really one song that stands out as a dud or anything. And one thing I will say is the production on the original version is garbage. Terrible. Awful. I mean, we started trying to experiment with EQ, and I think we just added way too much treble. So on the original version, the cymbals and the hi-hats are just way too loud and just make your ears bleed. Yeah, it's the, the it, it will hurt your ears if you listen to that version. It's just so loud and so overblown. We were like, well, metal bands use EQ and compression, so we'll just... <laughs> throw that on the whole track not just like a specific instrument that needs it like just the whole track the master track why not yeah and so it's just so loud it's unlistenable but um i did go back and try my best to make it better and so any any clips you hear in the podcast will be from the uh the remastered version that doesn't hurt your ears hopefully right connor went back and uh remastered the tracks pretty recently and that version sounds much better yeah, it's like Par said, once you can actually listen to it, this probably has our strongest songwriting. Uh, it's kind of a mix between sludge and groove metal, yeah. but it's got these super low heavy tunings that you would expect out of like a deathcore band or something maybe. Right. It's very strange, but it's it's probably our best from this time period. Like, by a long shot. Yeah, by a long shot. I mean... I don't know. I wouldn't have expected this kind of songwriting from us at that point. But I think just having those much lower tunings forced me to play slower. I couldn't just constantly chug playing in drop B or whatever. <laughs> drop A. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it just made our songwriting better. All right. Kicking things off on Inside the Chasm is a track called Resurgence. Um, this still has a lot of that skyline kind of sound to it the the riffing's a lot more on the metalcore side on in parts but it's still a strong track i feel like even though it doesn't have a lot of the heaviness that some of the other tracks will have it's still just a fun listen it's not super long but it's kind of got a good tempo and a good beat to it and it's a fun way to start the album off It's a pretty fun start to the album. I wouldn't say it's one of the highlights necessarily. No. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's got a it's a good taste of what's to come. 
you know there's some pretty fun riffs here and you can hear that low tuning so it's a nice change of pace so track number two on inside the chasm is the title track called inside the chasm and i think this is a step up from resurgence i think there's a lot of uh good riffs here that are uh pretty well written there's also this intro riff we have where i kind of go back and forth between two notes and an octave and then later about halfway through the song i come back with that same riff but just way lower a few octaves lower and it just sounds so heavy <laughs> it, it's it really kicks you when it comes in because it's kind of a we wrote it to showcase how low the tuning could go now basically <laughs> right <laughs> and yeah just throughout the song there's just a bunch of good riffs uh, there's a nice riff to close off close out the song and yeah it just i feel like we were kind of just on our a game throughout this album and i mean this song isn't an exception yeah It's a good listen. It's like you said that octave riff that we come back to. Uh, it's got like a good rhythm. You can kind of. It's got a, like a bounciness to it that's really fun, and that kind of carries throughout the whole song, even when things slow down and get heavier. And it's a good way to showcase the lower tunings. Again, I feel like that's kind of how we wrote it. We 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 avoided the lowest string when playing that octave riff the first time, just so we could move down <laughs> to it later in the song. Right. <laughs> All right, so the third track on Inside the Chasm is uh, Dark Spaces. And this is noteworthy in that uh, it's the only track on the album where Parth plays the drums and I play the guitar part. And much like our other albums, this is noticeable. <laughs> I have a different style than Parth, uh, much different playing style, and I couldn't probably play most of these riffs today. I don't think I could figure them out now unless I really sat down and listened to it. But I like this song. Uh, since I wrote a lot of the riffs for it, uh, I wouldn't say it's one of the best on the album by any stretch, but there's this break uh, in the middle that was pretty much improvised a lot of the way through yeah. that I think sounds really good. It's kind of got like a, a light black metal influence, which I think this was around the time I first discovered black metal, even if I wasn't super into it. So that's kind of cool uh, looking back on that. But it's a track I have a lot of nostalgia for, even if it's not a highlight.
yeah, I also enjoy dark spaces. Uh, as the name suggests, I think it's probably one of the darker songs on the album. You can definitely hear that uh, distinct guitar playing style from Connor. Like, I wouldn't be able to write something like this. <laughs> <laughs> and I do really like that break in the middle where uh, we improvise this uh, like bridge kind of section. It's got a cool riff and the drumming behind it is pretty solid too and i really like how it ends too it slows down a lot and there's this pretty sludgy riff and it it's just kind of a good way to go out i think yeah it ends strong but not in the way that you would expect it kind of just dies yeah but it works <laughs> it does <laughs> so track number four on inside the chasm is called changing times and this is probably one of the heaviest songs on the album. This is notable because we used my Line 6 amp to record the guitar for this song. Because for, for some reason, we didn't have access to, um, I think, the mixer that the night we recorded. Yeah, it wasn't here for some reason. Yeah, and there's a, kind of a lot of good riffs on this one. There's this nice chugging riff at the beginning that's just really nice and heavy and later in the song it kind of comes back but it's like a slightly modified version and i think that part works really well and just throughout the song i think the riff writing is pretty strong uh the drumming is there too you know to back it up probably probably one of the highlights of the album i would say yeah definitely i would agree with that um the tone is definitely kind of the highlight if you like tone this is the song for you because it's just nice and thick and chunky and the riffs fit it very well they, they were written it, it almost feels like we wrote these riffs after we found that tone because they just fit so well and the drums give it that kind of extra punch and it's definitely one of the heaviest tracks i would say and in my favorites looking at the whole track list overall And when, like you said, when that variation on the intro riff comes back in, that's like a high point. <laughs> I, I can I can hear that in my head distinctly. I like that part so much. Yeah, probably one of the high points of the album. All right, the fifth track on the track list is Abandoned. And this is, I believe, the first song we wrote coming off of Skyline. So that metalcore influence is most prominent here. I would say it's faster than a lot of the other tracks on here. And the riffing is a lot more in that same vein as what was on Skyline. Um, although it's still a little heavier. It's got, it fits with the album. It doesn't stand out like, like a sore thumb or anything. But it is a bit different stylistically. Although it's still a strong track, I feel. This almost sounds to me like it could have been a, like a Skyline B-side. Because a lot of the songwriting is similar to that. You can hear a bit of that metalcore influence. Especially towards the end. But still, there's some pretty good riffs here. The songwriting's solid. 
I really like the final riff in the song. I think it's a good way to close it out. Definitely wouldn't say it's one of the highlights on the album, but there's just no weak track on the album, you know? I yeah. think they're all pretty solid. There no, there's no low tier. Everything's at least okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> So track number six on Inside the Chasm is called Scorched Earth. And the very low tuning is back with this one. It's definitely heavy. Oh, yes. <laughs> and yeah, this is a good one. There's a lot of fun riffs throughout, I think. Um, there's this fun little bouncy riff in the middle where, again, I'm going back and forth between uh, two, two notes and an octave. And... There's a nice strong riff to close the song out. solid songwriting throughout yeah it's full of good riffs uh, i like the breakdown in the middle very heavy and chunky <laughs> oh yeah, yeah and like par said coming off the back end of that there's this very bouncy octave riff that's really fun and it's just a fun listen i mean we were on our a game as far as riff writing goes for this album i don't know what else to say yeah i don't know we were just kind of killing it on this album <laughs> you could say yeah not to not to self-indulge too much <laughs> All right, coming up next, we have a track called Venom, and this is one of the heaviest tracks on the album. It's very slow, very sludgy, very low-tuned. Um, I like the riffs, though. It's super fun to listen to. Um, the only weak spot, and kind of the weak spot of this album, I guess, is the solo at the end of it. Par still hadn't really figured out how to solo yet. I'm going off that feel. <laughs> Pure feel. And uh, it kind of shows... Yeah. But it's still not, it's not offensive or anything, but it's not the strongest way to close the song out. And that's a shame because the rest of the song, I think, is really strong.
Yeah, yeah, I like this one. I've kind of always had a bit of a soft spot for this one because of that this uh almost like melodic riff uh about a minute, minute and a half in that comes back at the end, which I think is pretty strong. And like Connor said, the songwriting is pretty strong throughout. The, the heaviness is there. That solo I do at the end is not it, really. <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not really that well-written or well-performed. I don't think I really learned how to write a good guitar solo till like 2017. So at this point, I was still kind of just winging it. And that shows. Yeah. But it it's the only real weak part of the album, though, is the solos. And we didn't right. abuse the solos, really, on this album. It's not like no. we threw them all over the place. Right, right. So, yeah, I would say it's kind of one of the highlights on the album. Definitely, in my opinion. So track number eight on Inside the Chasm is called Curse of the Sea. And I think this one is definitely a highlight of the album. Oh, yes, definitely. I think... Uh, just throughout the song, pretty much every riff is really well written. Uh, I really like this particular riff in the middle, which is one of the strongest on the album, I think. Just really uh, well written and uh, kind of bouncy. Uh, I also like the ending where we kind of play three variations of this riff. And it's just a really strong, in-your-face way to close out the song. We like the song so much, we re-recorded it in like 2019, uh, just because we wanted to. So, yeah. said a highlight definitely uh the riffs throughout are just really strong it's got a good energy and like you know, the chemistry's there between us it's just really well put together i think and the ending like you said is a super strong ending um just really punchy and in your face way to, to to stop the track and um it's just really good like you said I, I kind of like the new version better, even though I don't think it's out there anywhere. But yeah. this version here certainly has quite a lot of nostalgia. And I think the ending on this one might be better than the new version. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do prefer the new version, too, I think, because it's just so punchy. But, I mean, this is just... This has some of the best songwriting on the whole album, I think. Oh, yeah, definitely. And the final track on Inside the Chasm is called The Course of Redemption. And I think this is another really strong one. Lots of good riffs throughout. It's very groovy. Some pretty bouncy riffs in there. And towards the end in the second half, there's this one riff I've always really liked, which, uh, which is kind of a build-up with the drums. It's just two chords, and I kind of go back and forth between them. But I just really like those chords and I just think it sounds cool. And this really has an air of finality to it. Like this feels like 
a closer for the album. Oh yeah. The the you know it it ends on a very strong note. The riff right after that build up riff is also pretty strong, I think. And I end with a solo which actually might be the best one on the album. It's not too bad. I, yeah, I think it might be the best solo on the album, definitely. You managed to stay in key I without did. knowing what a key is. Yeah, which is amazing <laughs> at this point. <laughs> but yeah, like you said, this feels like the closer. It has a super, um, super like final punch to it. It feels like the end of the album. All the riffs are very kind of bluesy and groovy and really good <laughs> like they don't have that sludgy heavy sound that a lot of the rest of the album has but it's definitely also not that metalcore sound like that you would expect from skyline or abandoned or something right right this does have a bit of a bluesy feel and i guess less sludgy yeah and it's just really fun to listen to glad this is the closer you know it feels like it should be all right the final album we're going to be talking about today is a forgettable release called sepia uh this was recorded between uh january of 2015 and august of 2016 which up until this point would have been our longest recording window but that's only because we really didn't have a lot of time to meet up and record during this time so even though it was over a year of time. We There was barely any recording done in that year. Um, it's another half-and-half half release where me and Parth did a couple songs and then Parth and Unmill did the rest of the tracks. And it's very bland and just not very memorable. The songwriting's not super inspired sounding. I know I wasn't trying a whole bunch on these drum parts for some of these songs just because this was a, a time where uh, you were in... Clemson I was yeah. here in Rock Hill so there was a distance issue we couldn't hang out a lot and I think our taste in music really kind of diverged here <laughs> yeah. and so there isn't a lot of co cohesion with a lot of these songs there's some nostalgia associated with them just for the, the the time we had around this recording but the songs themselves aren't really anything special yeah I agree this just feels like the most insignificant and forgettable acid album i mean at least the early albums were so bad that they're memorable but i don't like why was this recorded though you know <laughs> yeah this could have just been canned like we didn't even need to like worry about making album art or anything for it we could have just left it on the computer hard drive <laughs> right <laughs> and um also stylistically this album is very it's all over the place because like Connor said, it's a 50-50 split where the songs where me and Unmil recorded, the, the, those are more soft rock and just 
you know, not really metal at all. And then the ones me and Connor recorded are much more like hard rock and metal. So there's no cohesion. And like none of these songs are memorable. They just they feel they feel like they're lacking a soul. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I don't feel anything when I listen to these songs. Uh, also, uh, fun fact: I did design the album art for this album again after many years, <laughs> and I mean it's okay. I guess it's better than the old albums, but. All I did was like take a picture of the ocean and I added like a sepia looking like filter <laughs> to half of it. Yeah. And and called it a day pretty much. <laughs> I thought it looked cool, but I, I don't know. It's fine. It's like a callback to our old album art. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what we'll go with. <laughs> <laughs> so the first song in sepia is called critical miss uh which is a very fitting title for you know a song on this album <laughs> the start of the album no list <laughs> yeah and yeah it's not really a good song to be honest this almost feels like uh, uh it could have been a b-side on inside the chasm because it has that same very low tuning and the songwriting is kind of similar but if this was on Inside the Chasm, it would have been by far the worst song there. Yep. <laughs> even when i was writing these riffs i think deep down i knew that i wasn't giving it my all like this wasn't my best work i was just writing something to, so we could record something and yeah it's just not memorable and these riffs aren't that great yeah i mean the only interesting thing about it really is that i mean we're using the clean guitar a lot at the beginning which we would incorporate a lot later um kind of after <laughs> after we came back after this abomination of an album to actually try um we would start using clean guitar a lot more in a lot more interesting and kind of creative ways but this just kind of feels like we just kicked the distortion off and just tried to write like we always do <laughs> except we weren't really trying <laughs> yeah yeah and like this lack of effort i think is for the most part just there throughout the album the, the reason this song is called critical miss is because uh, at this time, when we were all able to get together, uh, me, Parth, and some of our friends were playing Pathfinder, a D&D-like game. And, of course, a critical miss is a term in tabletop gaming. So we decided to take that as the name for our song. Yep. <laughs> and we also have um, one other reference to our specific game that'll come later in one of the other song titles. Right. We'll get to that. Alright, so the second track on Sepia is called Into the Blue, and this is another Mine and Parth original. Um, out of the stuff we did, this is probably the strongest. Yeah. It sounds kind of like a Skyline B-side almost. It's got a lot of metalcore feel to it that Inside the Chasm didn't really have. 
but it's not necessarily a bad thing. Some of the riffs are kind of cool. It's got a lot of energy. There's yeah. a lot of energy behind the drum part, and there's some fast riffing and stuff. And um, it's just kind of okay, <laughs> in my opinion. I know I think you like this one a lot more than I do. I think I do. Uh, honestly, songwriting-wise, this is one of the best on the album, in my opinion. I actually did put effort into this one. I remember writing these riffs like before we recorded the song on my own and being pretty proud of them. riffs are like fun and kind of catchy it does kind of have that skyline metalcore feel but not like it's not so strong where it's just like a continuous chugging or anything and uh yeah the production on this is kind of horrendous though i'm not gonna lie yeah i think i was still doing what i was doing on the original version of inside the chasm and so this has just got these super loud drum cymbals and hi-hats that just overpower the guitar to where it starts like dropping out like it's it hard <laughs> to hear the guitar at points because the drums are so loud right so uh i actually like this song so much i went back and re-recorded the whole thing on my own in like 2018 because I wanted like a listenable version of it. So yeah, I guess I have a soft spot for this one. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a great song or anything, but for this album, I think it's one of the better ones. Oh yeah, definitely. Comparing it to everything else on here, I think it's in the top tier. So the next uh, song we have on Sepia is called Swimming in Silence. And surprise, Unmil is back. <laughs> so this one is one that me and my cousin uh, Unmil recorded. And I don't know, it's okay. Stylistically, this doesn't sound anything like an acid song, though. It's like soft rock, basically. Like alternative rock. And honestly, I think some of these riffs are kind of well-written, like towards the beginning. There is this distorted riff in the middle, which is straight up like a metalcore riff. <laughs> that's like completely out of place. But, I mean, there's good songwriting here. And I remember being actually pretty proud of this one when we first recorded it. The production on here, I think, is too clean. 
Like Uno has this very distinct, clean production style he likes to go for, and like a lot of pretty much all of the songs we recorded recently, and I don't know, it's not really my thing. So I mean, that's fine, but uh, there's also towards the end. There's this one riff that plays in the last maybe 20-25 seconds, which I think is actually pretty well written. I actually like that riff so much that we ended up reusing that exact riff in one of our newer albums, Distress Call. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. That was a highlight of the song. That was a highlight of the song. It was such, such a good riff, we decided to use it on a good album. Right. <laughs> but... <laughs> I mean, this song isn't bad. It's like you said, it doesn't feel like an acid song. I think the start of it's pretty strong. I like a lot of that clean guitar work at the beginning. That stuff sounded cool, even if it doesn't really sound like us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, once the distortion comes in, though, it feels a little just eh. There's nothing super stand out about it. Um, and again, like you said, the production's very sterile. That's the word I use for it. Very clean and sterile. And I'm not a big fan of that. But, I mean, it's just a, a different creative choice. I'm not saying that this sounds bad. It sounds very well produced. Yeah, yeah it does. It's uh, just not how I would produce it myself. Right. It definitely sounds good. Um, I guess I just prefer some of the heaviness. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the distorted tone on this is very flat and weak sounding and very quiet. So that's kind of a flaw, too. I mean, overall, it, it's fine for what it is. It's just, it just doesn't sound like acid. Yeah. You know? All right, the fourth song on Sepia is a track called Gus the Just, the Human? Question mark, Which is another reference to our Pathfinder game. Our, our friend Jacob had a paladin named Gus. We called him the Just. And he was indeed a human. Yep. But anyway... This is another song that me and Parth did, and um, again, it's just, it's not super memorable. No. I don't think, I, it's so forgettable, in fact, that I forget that it exists. It's like a surprise every time I come back to this, <laughs> that this song is here. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think this is another example of a song where you can't, you just don't hear any soul in the music on this album. Yeah. The riffs are all just very generic and kind of metalcore influenced and yeah i also forget we wrote this song you know i, I have to be reminded of like oh yeah we wrote gust to just the human <laughs> that is something that we did <laughs> yeah the like the very last riff in this song i think is probably maybe the strongest in it it's kind of cool it's like this syncopated like start stop riff and which is kind of sounds cool but it ends okay. Yeah. But, I mean, there's there's nothing else in the song to get you to that point. You'll have skipped it by the time the best part comes on. <laughs> right, right. I, I just, I don't know. Maybe I thought I was trying uh, when I wrote this song, but it just doesn't sound like I was putting in, you know, my best effort.
track number five on Sepia is called Through the Mist. And this is another one that Unmel and I recorded by ourselves. And again, this sounds nothing like an acid song. It's very much, you know, soft rock. Most of it has clean guitar, very subdued playing. And I don't know, it's okay. I think it starts off a little weak. It gets better in the second half. There's this uh, actually kind of pretty decent guitar solo I have uh, that's actually has some pretty good writing. But I don't know. I just, this isn't acid. Like, I don't, I keep saying that, but <laughs> this isn't really what I imagine us writing. I feel like when I'm recording with him, some for some reason my songwriting style just completely changed and i ended up writing some just really soft stuff much softer stuff and i don't know maybe i thought that since that's the type of music he's kind of more into you know that's what he would want to play so that maybe that's why there's this like stylistic like difference between our stuff and me and connor's stuff very much sounds a lot more in line with kind of what his band now is doing Just, yeah i mean his band is much better than this yeah <laughs> but um it's more along that same lines of like soft alt rock um there is a nice solo like you said from you that that seemed well thought out and planned and it actually stays in key and it goes with the music well and everything that's probably the highlight of the song but right. it's just to me it's just kind of bland <laughs> and yeah. like we would eventually start to use like softer parts in our music later, but nothing that they don't really sound like this. Yeah, we we took the idea of soft stuff from this, but we don't ever really use it like this album. Right. This really does kind of sound like proto Mad Woman. You know, <laughs> Mad Woman being Unmil's current band. <laughs> this isn't the acid I know. Yeah, this isn't acid. This is a split. <laughs> Split of acid and proto mad woman. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and the sixth track on Sepia is the final Mine and Parth original on the album called Renewal. And this is strange for us. It's a lot closer in line with what Parth and Unmill were doing at the time with a lot of clean, soft guitar. And surprisingly enough, it reminds me stylistically of what our next album after this would be Patchwork Landscape, at least in parts. It has some of the same ideas, but I don't think any of it's executed particularly well. <laughs> yeah, I do agree where some parts of this remind me of what we would do on our next album, Patchwork Landscape, but but just not executed as well. Like, I guess you can see some of the ideas starting to form there. But yeah, this is doesn't have that many strong riffs uh 
again, I don't think I was trying too hard here. You know, even while recording it, I think I knew, you know, these riffs aren't really that great. Yeah. <laughs> but well, that riff, like you said, that <laughs> at the time you were even like, I don't think this riff is that good, but we'll put it in here anyway. <laughs> yeah, I remember when we were recording, there was this one riff I kind of had in the back of my mind for a long time that I never thought was really good enough to actually use. But I was like, let's just use this riff. I have it. You know, it'll make something. the song longer. Yeah. <laughs> so clearly, it wasn't like my best work. I mean, both of us like struggle to remember this song. So again, it shows how forgettable this album is. Yeah. Going back and listening to it now, I think it might be one of the better ones out of what we did, me and you. Yeah. But that's still not saying much. <laughs> right. When I say better, I don't mean like 10 out of 10. <laughs> I mean like maybe six <laughs> on a good day. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, there is kind of some cool parts like there's actually this guitar solo at the end over a clean guitar riff i do kind of like that part and the solo is actually you know on key and, and well written but overall it's just like we kind of kind of do this style of music better on the next album yeah for an entire album and yeah. not just one song right so track number seven on sepia is Another one that Unmill and I did by ourselves, and it is a cover of a Red Hot Chili Peppers song called Can't Stop. <laughs> I I don't know. I think both of us, Red Hot Chili Peppers is a band that both of us are into, and I guess we just wanted to cover this song, and it's it's pretty pointless. Like... This doesn't even have vocals, man. Yeah. There's no vocals. I don't there's no bass. It's just the drums and the guitar part with a separate guitar part playing the vocal melody. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> what? What is this? <laughs> the guitar is doing the vocal part and it's like it's just like two notes basically. We go back and forth between two notes for the vocals. <laughs> it, it just doesn't sound that good. No. <laughs> and again the production is like super clean which is fine but it's not the acid production i know yeah it's got that unmill mad woman production on here <laughs> which again I'm, that's not a bad thing it's just not what we go for with our music now really right right
so I don't know. It's fine for what it is. It's well played, well produced, but I would never go back to this now. Yeah, it just seems kind of pointless, kind of fillerish, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's like you said, you played it well. The drum part is played well. The guitar parts are played well. And I mean, if you know the song can't stop and you listen to this, you would be able to immediately tell that that's what it is. Like, it's recognizable. Right. But why would you ever listen to it? I don't know. Yeah, just listen to the original. Yeah, go listen to Red Hot Chili Peppers. (laughs) 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 All right, so the final track on Sepia is yet another re-recording of an acid classic. Dreams Exist in Reality, off of our second album, As of Yet Unknown. Except this version is inferior in almost every way. Uh, this one is just Parth and Unmil. Uh, I was there for writing the original version, but this was one that him and Unmil did on their own uh, to help fill this album out. And a lot of the uh, more unique production choices from the original song are absent. <laughs> and it's just it just doesn't have the, the same feel or soul that the original one does about the only improvement is that the this like awful panning filter on the guitar solo in the original is gone in this one thankfully but everything else just feels so much more flat and lifeless This is like if you took the original version of Dreams Exist in Reality and sucked out every ounce of feeling and soul and emotion from that. This feels extremely lifeless. Just the guitar tone is very kind of flat and there's absolutely no effects on it. Any of the effects from the original, they're gone. The drums sound very like digitized, I guess, like clearly just programmed. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. Like, why would you ever listen to this version? I mean, I think I was pretty kind of proud of this when we made it. But over time, my opinion has morphed into Connor's, where <laughs> I don't like this version at all. This was pointless. Why did we do this? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a very good way to close out the album. No. Especially considering the song before this is a Red Hot Chili Peppers cover. <laughs> right. I mean, I, it it kind of hurts listening to this version. Yeah, it's painful. C- c- I have so much to like love for the original, just because it was so creative and original for us at the time. Right. And this is just taking everything about it and stomped it out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's almost like you made a radio friendly like mainstream version of dreams exist in reality <laughs> for like like a record label or something yeah some like <laughs> mass pro- marketed produced music for the masses or something yeah because <laughs> i guess it is more like it's a lot more digestible than the original it's just not interesting no not at all no <laughs> 
and and I think during this time, <laughs> just to show like how how the recording process was, like Con Uno and I when we recorded, we were just doing our own thing. Connor really wasn't a part of it. Like we would record songs and then I would send them to Connor and be like, by the way, we recorded this song for Hey, this will be on the next album. Yeah, it's gonna be on our on our album that all three of us are on. But <laughs> this has like nothing to do with you and you had like no input in this. <laughs> yeah. And I think Connor just went along with it. Yeah. I remember <laughs> telling Parth that this version was alright back in the day. Just because yeah. I didn't want to hurt his feelings, but yeah. I've always hated this version of Dreams <laughs> Existing Reality. Yeah, he, I think he's very offended by this version. <laughs> Look what they did to my boy. Yeah, I, w- I would have liked to have seen his reaction when he first heard it. That would have been funny. <laughs> I don't think it, it was just a face of pure shock and horror. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's probably not too uh, different from when I recorded vocals on Under a Psychedelic Sky. Yeah, it's very similar feeling, yes, yeah. <laughs> from my perspective. <laughs> right. But that's the last song on this album, and thankfully this album's over. Yeah. And- this just feels like a very small like footnote in our history. No one will ever talk about this ever again, now yeah. that we've talked about it. Right. It's just that forgettable. Right. After this, we go on to do... Like, much better things yeah <laughs> the music we released after this album is actually available online on our Bandcamp page yeah which maybe we'll link in the description of the podcast or something but that music we probably won't be doing a podcast on since it's up for sale but we're proud of it it's yeah. leagues above even the first album on their patchwork landscape is leagues above anything you've heard on these two episodes of this podcast right we just i think we're both very proud of our newest music it's just a step up in all regards from anything you've heard here yeah it's us being able to like finally realize like our artistic goals with our music instead of being limited by our instruments or our production we actually took a lot of time and effort and i learned how to produce better and mix and master better parth learned how to play much better yeah and the songwriting is just so much better and i'm not saying it's music for everybody it's not very accessible music no but no. it's stuff that i'm proud of yeah same uh it feels like we just put a lot more effort into uh the, our music these days and i think it shows yeah I think it doesn't have as much of the fun factor anymore. It feels more workish, at least on my end, with a lot of the production and stuff. I still have fun doing it, but I do miss the days of being able to bang out two god-awful songs in a night. Yeah. Like on amped up on Soda and Monster. Yeah. yeah. We go get like a 12-pack of soda and two like gigantic monsters and drink it all and record some songs. Yep. But I think that might bring us to the end of this episode. Unless yeah. there's any closing thoughts you wanted to add on anything we talked about. Uh, no, not really. Just uh, thank you guys for listening and, uh, you know, going along on this journey with us. Hope y'all had fun. Hopefully it was a good listen. And um, we'll be back next time at some time with something else. Yep. We don't know what, but... We'll get there when we get there. We will most likely be back someday. (laughs) Have a nice night. See you later.